We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is the Ask the Martins podcast, where we answer your single, married, or dating relationship questions with practical advice and research-based techniques. Have a relationship question you want answered? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. This episode of the Ask the Martins podcast has been brought to you by ShopModco.com. If you're a minority-owned business looking to jumpstart your growth, or if you're looking to support minority-owned businesses this coming holiday season, take a trip to shopmodco.com, where they're on a mission to spotlight minority-owned businesses and fuel small business equality in our communities. Modco is launching Thanksgiving 2020, so we know where we'll be doing our holiday shopping. We hope to see you there. Visit today at shopmodco.com. That's shopmodco, M-O-D-C-O dot com. Now, let's get into this week's episode. All right, you ready to go ahead and get into this letter, babe? I'm ready to go ahead and get into this letter. So um, I'll start it off here. It says, Dear Kenyon and Takara, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian wife and I feel like I'm losing my faith. Me and my husband have been married for four years and I have one son together. I have a 12-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. We met in church and when we first met, started dating, my mother was very skeptical of him. But since my pastor introduced us, I f- sorry, but since my pastor introduced us, I figured my mom was just being controlling because we have always been very close. Mm-hmm. Before we got married, he definitely treated me like a queen. He was very generous to my daughter, always giving her money and buying her nice things. I looked at that as something uh, that would make him a good provider for us. My mom didn't like how he needed a lot of my attention and how he seemed to easily get annoyed with his surroundings. Even with church functions, he would just become off and it felt uncomfortable to even be around him at times. He said it was just because he was introverted, which made sense because as long as it was just me and him, he was really cool to be around. We had a lot of fun. I'll admit, we fast-tracked our marriage, and since my family wasn't 100% for us, we eloped. For the first six months, everything was great, but I started noticing a shift in his demeanor. His mom passed away shortly after we got married, and initially, he seemed to, to grieve, I guess, in a way that seemed normal. His moods were up and down, and we did everything we could to accommodate his grieving process. But if I'm honest, his grieving process has sucked the life out of our home. Sometimes he's just downright mean. Mm. Shortly after his mom died, I found out I was pregnant. And I thought it would give him or us some sense of joy, but he wasn't happy at all. Even though while engaged, we talked about having a child and even picked out the names. He told me that a baby wasn't what he needed right now. He's literally become the most negative person I've ever met in my life, complaining and having negative and having a negative response to everything, even if it's to try to accommodate him. I know this seems crazy, but my daughter from a previous relationship now seems like an inconvenience for him. Mm-hmm. He constantly tells me that since his mom died, he needs me more than ever. But when I try to intentionally spend time with my daughter, he gets noticeably irritated and makes me feel guilty for not putting him first in our marriage. The way, sorry, 
it makes me feel guilty for not putting him first the way God requires. Whenever I do anything that he doesn't agree with, he brings up submission as if it's his trump card to get me to comply or bend to his will. The last time I stood my ground with him, he got in my face and yelled, I could smash your whole head in to that wall and would be completely justified because of your attitude. But I continue to show me mercy. Sorry, but I continue to show you mercy Mm. because of the God in me. I'm sorry this is so long, but I went to my pastor and his wife to try to get help. And they said I wasn't making sense. So I wanted to make sure you get me. They basically told me that none of his behavior seemed abnormal for someone who was dealing with grief. I felt crazy in front of I felt crazy crying in front of them like I was making a big deal out of nothing. Since I just had our son two months ago, they chalked up my tears to postpartum depression Mm. and asked me if I've sought help for my issue. Then they said I needed to learn to be more patient and submissive and gave me a copy of a book called The Power of a Praying Wife. Oh, wow. I'm still speechless over that. But I read the book and did what they talked about. And three years later, I'm more miserable than before. Y'all, no matter what I do, it's not enough. I've tried to be a good wife. I've tried to be submissive. I've prayed and I've fasted. I've tried so much that didn't work that I've tried to, sorry, sorry, I've tried so much that didn't work that I've just resolved to be quiet. And that's honestly the only thing that keeps some semblance of peace in our home. Mm. And sometimes I do feel guilty for wanting more for him when his, when he's been through such a great loss. So I guess I'm writing you to ask, am I crazy? Am I being unreasonable for asking my husband to find a healthier way to be with us while working through his grief? Is he abusive or is he just in a lot of pain and I have simply have to deal with it? How long is grief supposed to last? How long do I need to wait for God to answer? Again, I'm sorry this is so long. Any help or insight would be greatly appreciated. So that is very long. The reason why we decided to take that, number one, is because we're in October and it's uh, domestic um, domestic abuse awareness month. But number two, that this is a very honest and a very common question, because when you have two people together, they and and they're married, they feel like part of that commitment is dealing with um, some of the hardships. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? And the problem with that is that we feel like because we're committed to each other, because of those vows, because of God, because of all these different uh, factors that goes into the relationship outside of us, that we're supposed to uh, deal with it. Okay, so let's go ahead. And first of all, I want to round up all the questions because there was about five questions that she asks there. Yep. And then we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each one of these questions one by one um, and identify um, what she should be thinking or where she should be at this point in time. Sound good? Sound good. All right. The first question is, am I crazy? The second question is, am I being unreasonable in asking my husband to find a healthier way to be with us while working through grief? The third question is, is he abusive or is he just in a lot of pain and I simply have to deal with it? The third question is, I'm sorry, the fourth question is, how long is grief supposed to last? Mm. And the last question is, how long do I need to wait for God to answer? Now, 
when it comes to clients, when it comes to people who come to us and they have a crisis of faith in the midst of everything that they're going through, the very first thing we tackle is the I, um, is the God process. Yeah. God's presence in this. Um, uh, what does God think? We, we try to tackle that because that's uh, paramount. That's priority. It's very important that they understand a few things. And the problem is, is the hardest thing for people to do is they come to us and they say, I love my spouse. Right. I want to honor God. Uh, I want to do right by God. And I really want to trust God. I don't want to give up on God, nor do I want to give up on my spouse. So what they do is they immediately go to people of God. Um, who is supposed to be God's mouthpiece in that perspective. Listen. And when those people reassign that person to the same hell they're trying to escape, now they're confused because now they feel like this is where God wants me to be because that's what those people who I trusted told me and they're supposed to be people of God. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I'm going to wait till you finish this point because I got things. Go ahead, baby. <laughs> no, go ahead with your things because I'm a, I'll am I'll break down what they should be, what she should be thinking at that point. Um, the biggest thing is I want you to understand that God will not reassign you to a hell. Mm. This is not a, a, some, some sort of purgatory to test you or to test your faithfulness. All right. That's not what this is. And while there are people who are in the church, while there are leaders of a church who may make mistakes, we won't blame them. But they're overstepping their bounds when they reassign, reassign you without identifying what your pain is, especially, especially YouTube and IG. Let me say this clearly, especially if you're a woman. Mm. Because there is a strong patriarchal bend that has bent into chauvinism that takes your pain and wraps it up in a ball into your own accountability. And that's not fair and that's not right for you. And that's not God. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and as someone who's had to deal with with leadership like this in my past, one of the things that I think that really hurt me even more was that the church leaders that were in this position and we're not speaking about all church leaders and i don't even think that church leaders necessarily um intentionally want to assign someone to hell so please don't get us wrong over saying that but what i will say there comes a level of pride that comes with the position of church leader church pastor um lay counselor in the church and when people have that sense of pride and, and lifted upness that we give ourselves and we have a title in the church, yes. we do not like to feel like we are being questioned. We don't like to feel like our authority with God is being questioned. Yes. And so one of the things that I had to deal with personally was like I almost even got attacked and browbeat for like really sitting there and asking my pastor, like, but are you sure? Right. That I'm not dealing with abuse because I'm going through this, 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 and this. And it's like, no, because I'm the man of God. And God would God would tell me if that person was abusive. Absolutely. God would let me know if they were unhealthy. And I don't see that because I don't see that. That must mean there's something wrong with you. And that's probably one of the most dangerous positions that you can take against someone who's coming to you in an abusive situation. If you cannot, if you do not have the education, the wherewithal, 
the non-biased perspective to actually assess that person. The objectivity, the sensitivity, and the empathy. Yes. To to really help that person. You do not need to be in a position to try to counsel the wife only into going back into the hell that she's coming to you for help with escaping. Absolutely. Now, here the bigger problem here is that I, I if I'm if I heard you correctly, because I didn't take notes and I heard it, I just now heard it with you. The biggest problem here is that he's the one who hooked them up. Yes. So there is a particular pride that goes along with, well, if I hooked you up, why don't you trust my word? Why don't you right. trust who I am? And so there's a particular attack on my pride when when you when I feel like you are questioning me because I didn't question that person's character. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Somebody just asked what's the topic. And if you are just now joining us, we're letting you guys know that we're answering a letter from someone wanting to know if they are in an abusive relationship. Absolutely. So when it comes to God, there's a there's a few points that we need to make to if you're in this situation and for the person who wrote the letter. Number one, someone else's behavior is not your fault. That's number one. That's very important. Okay, because that means that God is not looking to punish you for calling them to the carpet. Right. God is not looking to punish you for identifying that I'm in pain because of what you've, you're doing right now. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. That's very, very important. The second point is God is not going to change someone else's behavior if it's not if it's a still against their will. That's very important. Mm -hmm. When we go to pray, we typically pray that they change. Something changes them. Something moves them. The problem is, listen, God has incredible priority. His greatest priority goes along with the gift that he gave us. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his priority. If he's not going to change somebody's free will choice for that priority, then he's not going to change someone's free will choice for this priority. Does that make sense? Yes, it I does. want to make sure that you guys understand that it's not that this isn't important, but the idea is, is you have to understand the truth. Your prayer should be, open their eyes to see what they're doing and open my eyes so that I can respond to what they're doing. Amen. Open my eyes and protect me as a response for what they're doing. That's so incredibly important. And that actually, when you begin to understand what God does and doesn't control, um, not because he can't, but because of he won't, that's his contract with us as humans. Um, once you realize that you you begin to free yourself and free God from the accountability that that belongs directly to that person who's causing pain. Amen. OK, so the question here so we could go ahead and wrap this part up. How uh, the question said, how long do I wait for God to answer today? Mm. You not waiting no more. Mm. You've already prayed. You've already said and done everything you're going to do. Now, I, let me make it. Let me make this very clear. We are not prophets. All right. That's not <laughs> what not we do. And nothing. Exactly. But you got your answer already. Here's what I mean by that is not to we're not tooting our horns, if you will. But many times when we deal with clients and we sit there and we listen, listen to their situation and we're we are an objective third party and can hear both voices 
at the end of that, and once we began to um, give them our assessment, or at least our initial assessment, they're always here saying, that's what I thought. We're always confirming and affirming something that's already in them that they already knew, but they were afraid to say or speak because somebody else had already came down upon them because they was trusting somebody else. But so they didn't listen to what was already in them. It's very important to understand that when God works 90 percent of the time, yes, there are going to be miracle signs and wonders, uh-huh. but 90 percent of the time he's going to work through someone else. That's why there is a body of Christ. And as he works through us, as we're conduits of 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 his truth, as as he's gifted us to be able to hear and then guide and teach and bring and heal. He's also working through us as well. And typically, this is where the bus stops. You don't have to wait anymore. After we finish each and everything that we're going to cover, you shouldn't have to wait anymore. Can I just say, too, I think one of the most challenging things um, for people to reconcile, church leaders and people of faith to reconcile, is that if I have to step outside of God for help, it means I didn't trust God. If I have to go somewhere else and ask the Martins, ask a therapist instead of my pastor or things like that, it means I am somehow disappointing God for not trusting him or not waiting for him to help. And listen, if you cut your finger off, God is not going to be mad at you for going to find a surgeon that will attach that finger and reattach it. God is not going to be upset with you for going to seek outside help from wise counsel that's going to help you through this situation, either both of you together or you by yourself. Absolutely. And so I I think it's time we get rid of or graduate from the idea that because we are going outside of fasting and praying for help that it means that we don't trust God or we don't believe in the power of God. Right now, God's priority is our health, our safety, not necessarily obeying a law that he basically got, you know, got rid of when people began to be cruel to each other in their marriage in the first place. Absolutely. And and if if I may, I'm going to extend that just a little bit because I want to yes. hit you guys with a little principle. Extend it. When God sat and said, "It is not good for man to be alone." God's presence was right there. Okay. That's something that you need to understand. When God said that it is not good for man to be alone, he was identifying a need that man's that man has that we humans have in the interaction with each other. Right. There are physical needs that we have. If I am pouring out blood, then I need someone to physically cover my wound. Mm. If I am broken, then I need someone to physically come and patch me up. There are very real practical needs that we have that God has left for other humans to take care of. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Dr. Monique. Dr. Monique is a Christian therapist. Send us your information because somebody might need you. We might need to refer to you. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody said stepping out for help is not against God. Sometimes he orchestrated it to happen that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if that person isn't listening to God, there are people who are around in your atmosphere or in your environment. In your atmosphere. Look at you getting out churchy. <laughs> in your environment your that are listening to him and will move on an unction. On an unction. Second question. Am I crazy 
Mm. No, this is real easy. No, you're not crazy. What's going on is that you're trying to rationalize pain. That's the problem. You love him. Uh, you empathize with his uh, grief. And what you're trying to do is give an opening to him to heal, but you're being torn down. You're trying to rationalize pain, but you're not crazy. Good? Yes. Go ahead. No, nothing to say. Keep All right. <laughs> Next question. Am I being unreasonable in asking my husband to find a healthier way to be with us while working through grief? Now, here's what I want to do. That's a long question, and I want to clean clean it up because the way I rewrote this question kind of gives you an idea of how this question should be answered in the first place. Yes. So here's cleaning it up. Um, am I being unreasonable in asking my husband to not hurt us just because he's hurt? Yeah. Oh, yes, that's perfect. That's the best way to answer or to ask that question so that when we respond, no, you're not being unreasonable. Listen, just because it's friendly fire doesn't mean that you're bulletproof. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and it, it just because it's friendly fire doesn't mean that you're bulletproof. One of the easiest things to do is for us to hurt those who are in the closest proximity to us absolutely and we think marriage gives us permission to do so we think marriage gives us permission to do whatever we need we feel like we need to do because you said for better or worse you said sickness and in health and god said you can't leave me like that's basically what happens when somebody says like i'm going to keep hurting you and punishing you as if it's their right to do so absolutely absolutely and it's not their right it's not um, it's not for them. You are not locked into ma marriage is not a prison. Yes. <laughs> marriage is supposed marriage is the lab. I always say this and I tell our clients this marriage is a lab where you develop the fruit because there's nowhere else where you can develop such good uh, fruit of the spirit except with someone who you're so close with who gets on your nerves. Right. So <laughs> that's a lab. And there are going to be some times where you're going to have to use a little bit of patience but at the same time, it's never an excuse to be beat down. Now, with that being said, there is no justification. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no justification for char characterological abuse. And what I want to do, let me take, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to take some time and kind of break that down. Okay. And we have doctor on here. So I definitely want to make <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, Dr. Monique, tell us. Yeah. I, I definitely want to make sure that she uh, backs us up on this. All right. So there's what's called. Um, in clinical counseling and, ther and, and therapy, which we are coaches and pastoral counselors, there is a definitive difference. Yes. You'll understand this later. Uh, in clinical counseling and therapy, uh, when a counselor looks at a couple where abuse has been identified in them, they're looking at two versions of abuse or looking for two different versions of abuse to decide how they're going to deal with that couple. The, the two versions are um, circumstantial abuse or characterological abuse. The difference is this. Circumstantial abuse is situational. Things got out of hand. Um, this is not the norm. Uh, there is no serious in, uh, injury. This is There is no pattern of threat. Mm -hmm. And both parties participated to some degree. That does not make it right. 
Right. But it's something and it's something that most um, therapists will jump in on to try to work that part out and give them tools and how to deal with conflict. But they will not. Um, but this is something that they can work with. Character characterological abuse is very different. This is every situation. Characterological abuse is called characterological abuse because it has to do with that person's character. It's Ooh. who they are. It's the consistency. They'll always blame the victim. Um, they use intimidation as control uh, and to manipulate. They change. They literally change the atmosphere as soon as they wake up in the morning, period, or whenever they're in the home. And their character is driven to intimidate. Okay? Wow. Now, I've never heard this before. Thank you for doing this for me. <laughs> so when circumstantial abuse is present, a therapist will work with the couple, but they'll jump directly on um, how to handle conflict. All right? Right. When characterological abuse is identified, then the therapist's first priority is to save the victim. Get the victim to safety. All right? So when you find somebody, when you go into somebody and they see this and they say, we're not, they pull, they'll usually pull the victim to the side and they'll have an assistant pull um, the other person, the, your, the mate to the side and they'll keep the mate busy. And what they'll do is, is they'll try to def develop a, or, or try to guide the victim to a place of safety. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Saving the relationship is not a priority there, right? Okay, yeah. so go. You, you're with me so far? I am. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. If you need to finish something, finish. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. As as coaches and as pastoral counselors, um, what we do is, first of all, the reason why clinical um, clinicians and therapists are there is because they can diagnose the big deals. All right? Mm-hmm. We have to be able to acknowledge and see those and then direct them to doctor. All right? That's very important. OK, but at the same time, what we've done is that we've rolled in there into character issues. We've rolled in and patterns. We wrote in there emotional abuse, uh, mental abuse, um, different behaviors that are pattern driven, consistent and long term. And so when we see those things, we're looking at those things and we are going to call those things out. Now, because there's no physical abuse in, involved, we get to have a little bit of conversation. But we always recommend or we do recommend that they see someone who's going to be a little bit more on a therapist side because it could be something going on with them. Does that make sense? Yes. OK, so um, here's the thing with with that so that we can answer this question. If we see or this right here that's going on with her is a pattern. Yes. OK. There he has a consistent disposition. Right. right? It's been going on for about three years. Mm -hmm. She said three years. OK. Um, it is not unreasonable to need and to desire and to request and require a relief from that particular kind of behavior. 
especially if there's a chance that it can escalate and he's shown you that there's a chance that it can escalate and he's already pre-justified that it can escalate. Yes. Yes. Go ahead with what you was going to say. Well, uh, first of all, yes. You know somebody is abusive when they can threaten to abuse you and literally in their mind believe that they have a justification for abusing you. Yes. He literally used the Bible as a justification for abusing you so i'm like yeah that's that's the question yes yes the answer is yes to all your questions sorry um but one of the things that will happen as someone who's been in this situation before yes going to therapy it's not supposed to help you to be able to deal with abuse right going to counseling going to pastors going to whoever is not designed to help you better figure out how to deal with abuse did you have that written down no 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 okay (laughs) Good. No, baby, you good. Okay. So one of the things that happened to me in my previous abusive relationship is that when I said I'm leaving, what kind of Christian counselor would you go to that would actually tell you to leave your spouse? Because that was a safety. Look at right here. That that was a safety net for them to continue to be a fool is because nobody no christian is going to tell you that it's okay to leave so i can still be comfortable over here being abusive and know that everybody around you is going to tell you to stay no no that's not what a real therapist does and that's not what counseling should be it should not be there to resentence you and replace you back in abusive situations and so when you begin to get strength counseling again counseling is not there to help you deal with abuse and get stronger for that abuse counseling is there to help you honestly get stronger to not deal with that abuse to demand more to require more to rise up to change and call that other spouse into accountability if it's not doing that it's not working so when you sit here in a situation and say like am i supposed to be here and is is it too much to ask for my spouse to treat me right no it's not too much to ask because that's what counseling is supposed to do absolutely somebody said run don't walk <laughs> remember booty collins when he was like run don't walk baby <laughs> Am I too old for that? Am I too old? I, rem- I, I remember Booty Collins. You remember on the record players, baby? Is that what you're talking about? On on the wax, baby. On, on the, the wax. wax. <laughs> Sorry. Next question, please. How long is grief supposed to last? How long is grief supposed to last? Hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you the best answer I have as far as grief is concerned is that grief lasts until it's over. My mother... Um, when my mother lost her mother, my mother took care of her mother, which is my grandmother, but that was her mama. Okay. That's who she knew from the first time she opened her eyes Mm -hmm. and she took care of her until her last breath. And my, my grandmother lived great in years, but the issue is that that hit my mother hard. Um, the grief that she went through, she reached out to me and I could do nothing but hold her with my voice because my mother is a strong woman and she broke down in times and she dealt with a lot of, a lot of that, but she had to go through a therapist Mm -hmm. and she had, she actually moved because she could no longer be in the same place that she saw my grandmother pass away in. One thing she didn't do though, is she didn't mistreat people because she was in grief. Okay, so the length of grief, it will last. It will be different from for everyone is going to be different. 
I believe, don't wait. Listen, anybody, just as a side note, anybody who's lost anybody, anybody who's going through a grieving moment, anybody who is sad, anybody who has a lamenting spirit and heart, don't wait till you can't deal with it or until it's affected how you deal with your entire life. Go early. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Sometimes the people closest to us don't know what to say. They don't know what to think and they don't know how to hold you. Sometimes you need a therapist who is good, especially with grief so that you so that they can help walk you through those. Not everybody goes through those stages um, uniformly. Some people get into a stage. Some people jump into anger and just get stuck there. Some people jump into a place of 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 being. um uh depressed right okay so what i recommend is that once you've lost someone who is it it doesn't matter how close they were if it's going to affect you find someone to talk to that makes sense yeah um what i will say though is someone who is not innately mean mean spirited emotionally abusive emotionally detached or withdrawn you will be able to tell when you are no longer yourself. Yes. Um, it, there will be a shift in their behavior. And you, if somebody's not innately like that, you will be able to tell them that, you know, they're not themselves and they will see that. And perhaps many times listen and go get help for that. When somebody, or there's a difference between that and you shifting and needing help because you are grieving and someone who is using the grieving process as an excuse to become worse, an excuse to dig a hole deeper into who they already were. And I think it's very important that you acknowledge that you saw this behavior early on before y'all got married. You saw certain hints of this before his mother died. When she died, it just happened to be much more pronounced because it almost, you know, maybe it is chemical, but it almost gave them much more of an excuse to be who they already were to begin with. And so I think it's important to learn how to separate the two personalities <laughs> right between who that person is what happened after they after they got you know their their parents died or parent died um and then be able to try to talk to someone about that and if they're not able to go and get help or not willing to go and get help for that then you know it's innately who they are and they don't want to change absolutely so here you are at work school or home or somewhere you can't really talk but you are going through it confusion breakup self-doubt worry whatever it is you have an urgent need but you can't really talk to anyone right now what do you do easy you start texting you reach out to a friend or someone you trust in a way that lets you stay where you are but address the madness people do this every day And now we can proudly say many people have trusted and turned to us to chat daily. We're Kenyon and Takara Martin of Ask the Martins, and we've been able to bring insight, guidance and down to earth chat support to the emerging needs of others right where they were. We were there for them and we can be there for you. It's called a fire chat. Ask the Martins Fire Chat is a text coaching service that can be where you are. Fire Chat allows us, Kenyon and Takara, to be that comforting friend, that close confidant, and a real-time coaching counsel that you need, privately, silently, and urgently. Next time you need to chat, schedule a Fire Chat session with Kenyon and Takara. 
you'll be glad you did. Go to askthemartins.com and schedule your fire chat session today. All appointments are scheduled first come, first serve. The idea is that grief is very grief or circumstances that happen in your life are, are very convenient for someone who's already have already has a disposition to mistreat you. Right. OK, that's very important for you to understand. It's identifying that the problem is, is that when you jump from dating and you fast track the dating process because it feels so good, you don't get a chance to see them in a way uh, to and how they deal with uh, stuff like. Um, how they deal with the winners of their lives, how they deal with the different seasons of their lives. You don't know how they deal with um, uh, um, what depression. Yeah. Um, um, I can't. I can't. I can't get it. Get my mind to click on the um, disappointments. Yeah, okay. Ooh, you don't know. <laughs> it's you okay. Don't, you don't know how they deal with disappointments, and because you have you have to give um, give them time to actually. Uh, you got to give yourself time actually to see them in those moments because when you fast track a relationship, you put yourself in a place where you don't know what comes after that because you haven't seen them. One of the things that yeah. um, Takar and I, um, we just recently did a an interview. Yes. And we talked about that because our relationship was as far as our dating relationship was concerned, it was really fast. But one of the big things that allowed us to move in that direction was we were very definitive. We were very intentional and we were very open and transparent about the wounds we already had. Right. So it's like you if you don't get a chance to see me in my disappointments right now, let me tell you how I de dealt with my disappointments behind me. Let me show you exactly the wounds that I'm wearing because I need you to understand, number one what I've learned from them. Number two, how I'm not going to go through that again. But number three, how I will react differently this time. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's important to to bring attention to that. And, and I know, again, this is not just a dating podcast, right? Right, right, right. Um, but it's, an, it's important to bring attention to the idea of moving super fast in a relationship in the name of, well, I know what I want. So I'm, you know, we ain't getting no younger type of thing. Especially when it comes down to abuse, because like you, you know, kind of alluded to earlier, you get into that relationship and you don't know what you're looking for. Right. Somebody could be abusive and you see it as, oh, they're just having an off day. Right. And so you're having to now try to decipher a person's bad habits, a person's personality, a person's abusive behavior and their nature and trying to figure that out. You haven't had time to establish whether or not what something is a pattern or if it's a bad day. And so before you jump into marriage with somebody, for mm -hmm. y'all singles who are listening to this, before you jump into a marriage, give yourself the opportunity to see what sort of patterns arise and they exhibit throughout that relationship. So you can listen, and you need to be taking a mental checklist. Okay. He yelled at me twice now. Let's, I mean, he got one more time. Like, you know, sort of things like, because those sort of things are really your red flags that you should be paying attention to. Unfortunately, we are in a society, in a generation where abuse and narcissism is running rabbit all over the place. So you have to be very aware of who you're dealing with and pick up on those patterns and cycles before you get into a marital situation and are 
honestly devastated when you find out that the person you thought you had was really just a three month, six month representative. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was good. That was good. We good. We're good. Dr. Monique is back. She's got the hands up. We all right. Word. Okay. So the next question is, because that leads us to the next question. Is he abusive or is he just in a lot of pain and I simply have to deal with it? Now, I want to tell you this, uh, and, and if I could be transparent with both sides here. Yeah. One of the reasons why I didn't want to actually deal with this question is because because it did introduce grief into the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there are people who are out here who are natural nurturers, um, empaths, and people who love the person that we wit, vit, w- that we're with uh, genuinely and sincerely, and they may not fully understand how to actually separate the two. Right. But the reality of the issue is, is that this is when it happens. Mm. Is these situations that... Um, that that uh, introduce grief or introduce a circumstance that also gives us the opportunity or gives that other person the opportunity to begin to take off the shell, begin to take off the mask of who they are. And so in this particular situation, dealing with the grief, when it comes to grief, the grief is your place of concern. It's what you're most sensitive to. And that's where you want to meet him at. We get yes. that. Yes. But the problem is his disposition allows him to use your grief as a conduit to torture. And that's where the problem is. And so the thing is, is that it's not about waiting him out. It's not about waiting till it's over. It's not about dealing with it. You don't have to deal with it. Pain is not pain lets you know that something is wrong that you that should not be wrong. That's the I that's what it does. It's a signaler. Okay, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, tears. Sometimes you don't know how to articulate it, but you know it's there. Some of you are very very intuitive, but you're not paying attention to that intuition because they keep telling you it's you. But it's not you. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. So he's being irresponsible with you. He's being unaccountable for the pain that he's causing. He's pimping his grief to manipulate you and he mutes your pain because uh, because of his grief. Okay. Yeah. All of that is wrong. He's pimping his grief to manipulate. He's you. pimping his grief to manipulate you. So the, 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 the answer to the question is, is, the, is he abusive or is he just in a lot of pain and I simply have to deal with it? You don't have to deal with anything. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'll combine that answer with is this grief or is it abuse? Right. Uh, because that was the other question that she asked. Is this grief or is this abuse? More than likely, it's both. Mm. There is no it's, it's, it's like a fade. You know, you, it, there's no point where one starts, stops and the other starts like a haircut, fade. <laughs> like a haircut, fade. you <laughs> okay. know, a good fade. You know, you can't see where the line is. It right. just actually moves into it. And we here and we don't know how we got here. Uh huh. And here's the thing, though. Um, I know you have things to say about that. Uh, sure. But this is not a question that you as a spouse need to take on the burden of answering. 
the person who is in grief and the person who is exhibiting this bad behavior should be asking, is it abuse or is it grief? Absolutely. Like at the end of the day, it is their responsibility to recognize that they are treating the person that they told God they would take care of, love, honor, and cherish. They are treating them poorly. And if they are not treating them the way God would have you treat his son or daughter, then this is abuse period point blank and they need to be accountable for answering that question and they need to be accountable for going to get that help so they can stop doing that absolutely so why do we suggest that is both well obviously the grief is there but there's reasons why we believe that abuse is there as well um first of all that he suffers doesn't give him the right to make you suffer that's number one Mm -hmm. threatening you but having the wherewithal to use god as a justifier that's another problem amen manipulating you using a higher authority now there are whether you know it or not there are two higher authorities being used obviously he's already used god but he's also using what what they call flying monkeys for, for for narcissists he's also using outside entities to try to support his position yes when there is a, a pastor or someone outside saying submit, someone outside saying, well, maybe it's you. Why don't you read this book? Why don't you do this over here? He utilizes that as um, his confirmation or affirmation to say it ain't it isn't me. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem with that is, is that all he has to do is look at your tears. All he has to do is look at your pain. All he has to do is look at where you're at. It and, and and as a man, as a man, my my accountability, my responsibility is my wife. My accountability is to God and my wife. Mm-hmm. If I look at her and see that she's in pain, my immediate response is not going to be, well, what you do. My immediate response is going to be, what can I do? Uh, as a man, mm. any man who steps back and decides that, well, she's emotional. Well, she's this. Well, she's that. She's going through this. She's going through that. She doesn't understand. Perhaps you need to step back and readjust yourself and decide whether you want to be a husband or not. Because there's a difference between being a man in the house and being a husband in the house. And being a husband identifies and looks at his spouse. And as a matter of fact, to be honest, and I've, I've charged a few husbands with this, and I know it's hard, husbands, but it, 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 this is the case. You take the step first towards her. You begin to work it out. If it is her, that will work out. Okay. In most cases, she's still human. She still has a head of her own. Mm -hmm. But you as a husband, it is incumbent upon you in that position of husband to look to her in pain and figure out what it is that you can do about that pain and not participate in it. Listen, can I just tell y'all? Number one, I love you, and oh. I love you because well, thank you, you really do live what you teach. Um, at one point, <laughs> Kenny and I were like in the throes, like in the heat, like of a locked battle. Like we just like yeah, we at, argue too. Yeah, yeah, people think we're just yeah. like perfect or whatever. We argue too, and we was like really, really like like <laughs> at the at our wits' end, and not really sure how to go this. And one of the things that I said, I was like, listen, I feel like I am firmly justified where I'm at. You feel like you're firmly justified with where you're at. Maybe we need a third party because, and I I said these words and I know it killed him for me to say it. I said, I'm disappointed. 
Mm-hmm. And when I think hearing that, I was even disappointed. Like I wasn't crying. I wasn't like boo-hooing, um, anything like that. But all I said was, I'm disappointed. And Kenya was like, okay, no, we're going to handle this. Like, nah, let's sit down, let's talk. And while I know for a fact there were areas where Takara was not right. There were areas where Kenyon was not right. But one of the things that he said, he sat down, he's like, listen, let's just sit here. Let's just talk it out. Like, I, first of all, we were texting this. Again, not <laughs> the best way to have a fight, ladies and gentlemen, boys Absolutely and girls. not. We've learned it. But he was like, let's put the phones down. Let's quit texting. Let's talk about this. Help me understand what I'm not seeing. Because the last thing he wanted to be was a disappointment. Last thing he wanted to be was feel like he was failing God or failing me in this relationship. And when that happened, as not just the man in the house, as the husband of the house, let me tell you, like chains broke because he said, we are not going to walk away from this until I hear you. I understand you. I understand where you are. Period. Absolutely. Now, you got to understand, this is funny, but I want to say it because I know we have a lot of professionals in the audience. I know we have a lot of uh, therapists themselves, yeah. um, a lot of uh, lay counselors and pastors and pastor wives or pastor husbands. We, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And the thing is, when she said, perhaps we need a third party, perhaps we need counseling, <laughs> counseling. Here's the here's here's the issue. It is an immediate hit because now as a man, you're not only supposed to be the fixer, but as a professional, you're supposed to know exactly what to do. The only reason why I did not butt heads with her on that was because we have so many people who are coaches and counselors and pastors and so on and so forth come to us. Actual doctors come to us. And the reason why is is because it's human to not be able to see the forest because of the trees. Yeah. If you're deep inside that thing, you don't have a bird's eye view. You don't you can't be subjective about something that you need to be objective about. No matter how brothers, no matter how logical you think you are, right. you're not being logical. You are being emotional. And that's that. So the idea of uh, inviting a third party is a very, very good idea whenever you need it. Don't wait till you till the till the house is burning down. That's what we were talking about in the interview. Yeah. Don't wait till everything is on fire. Go and get the help that you need. That's what it's. That's what we're here for. That's what it's there for. Right. It's not about your pride because if you're if you're willing to go out there, especially men. And many times, I tell you what, I, let's look at it like Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Men like to fix things. Men like to put things together. But when you walk through Home Depot, you are not scared to ask where this is and how does this work. Exactly. So that's how you should treat counselors. What is this and why is this not working for me? That's good. That's how you treat counselors. Stop looking at counselors as the last resort because it means that I failed. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And and I think, and that's what I told her. I said, listen, hey, I'm all for it. Let's go for it. Let's have somebody. Um, we didn't need it, but and I said, here's what I here's something else I said too. Let's do it anyway. Yeah. Because one thing I learned when I was being trained in Christian counseling is that you have to see, and I think most uh, counselors and therapists go through this, you have to sit in somebody else's couch first so you understand what it's like to be there. Yes. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's part of training for every uh, social worker, counselor, anybody who's going into the clinic, clinical area and, and, and therapist, it's, it's, they have to do that. Um, and you role play as well. So it's important to be able to live and walk 
what you talk. Does yes, that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, let's get back to this. Let's get back to this. I'm sorry. I just had to give you your props back <laughs> because you saw that. So there is abuse there. All right. As far as the grief that's concerned, he ha- uh, here's what we recommend you to do because it is marriage. And because you're not dating, we do take dating seriously. Don't get me wrong, because a lot of people marry in their heart. So we get that. And that is a very serious situation. But because this is marriage, we recommend couples therapy, but we also recommend grief therapy for him. That's very important because he does have a he does have an issue that has become characterological. He does have an issue that has become repetitive. He does have an issue that is beating you up inside. And if he thinks he's going to get away with it, he may move to beating you up outside. So there that has to be handled. Both of you have to learn how to deal with conflict and be given tools so that it doesn't get that way. However, at the same time, he needs personal tools and how to deal with that grief. And and I'll tell you, somebody who knows, who deals with it, they are going to see whether it's a grief issue or whether he's putting on because they understand how that is. So it depends. Now, what if he don't go? What if he says, I don't need it? What if he says you need it? Then you go by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Nine times out of 10, that's not a good look for him. And it's not a good look for the marriage. But you're going to get your wellness and you're going to get your healing done doing that. So we invite this is now listen, this is not a coaching or pastoral counselor situation. Not this one, not this one right here, because so many wounds have gone on inside your home. You need to see a therapist and a count or or, or a a, a clinical counselor, couples counselor, MFT. Okay, and make my phone. Dang it. My phone is here, so I can't. I can't go to my list that I made now because I remember I made it when we were on that podcast the other day. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because one of the things that to I know, I, you told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say a bad word. But one of, <laughs> one of the things that we always tell people, number one, find people that specialize in what you're dealing with. When you're looking for a marriage counselor, marriage help, whatever, it's not always going to be your pastor. So, I mean, I need us to get us out of that, you know, get out of that way. And sometimes they're not always going to be necessarily like a, a heavy Christian bend. Right. Um, one thing that you need to do is find someone that specializes in, uh, you know, MFT or whatever, but that specializes in abusive situations. And even sometimes if they can, you know, diagnose disorders, clinical, because if you go to someone that says they specialize in communication issues, we ain't having no communication issues. This is beyond that. Like you need to go to their website, research what they do and make sure that you're going to somebody that specializes in what you're dealing with. If you feel like you may be in an abusive relationship, find someone who understands that dynamic and what needs to happen inside of that situation. The other thing I tell people all the time too, is to use your, uh, what's that called? Free consultation. Yep. Use your free consultation. Use your free consultation because when you can have that free consultation is not to get a free therapy session. It's not to get, um, you know, a free help in that that hour long session. You're supposed to be calling them and asking them what they specialize in. Ask them what methodologies they subscribe to so that way you can go and research it and find out if that type of help is going to be good for you. But never just go to counseling just because you need one thing. We get people who come to us and be like, I need help right away. Let me put something on your calendar. I need help tomorrow. I need help. And it's like, 
you're not sure if we're going to be right for you. And so do the same thing. Don't rush just to get a counselor just because you think you need somebody to tell your spouse that they're wrong. Absolutely. Go to a counselor to get help to get help to say this is what we're dealing with. Can you help us understand if you've dealt with couples like this in the past? Things like that. That's all I'm going to say. That's good. That's good. You want to answer that question? We got a question on our uh, IG. Was um, this a question, though? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that is a question. And YouTube, if you do have questions, it's okay to ask. Um, if you want to ask them later, that's fine. Um, but you can actually ask right here if you like. Yeah. So um, she says, is it abuse when the husband wants to control all of the finances and how much his spouse receives? He uses the statement, he's the breadwinner and he'll take care of me. My spirit doesn't sit right with that. It shouldn't sit right with that. That's uh, financial abuse. That's utilizing finances in order to control and manipulate what's going on in the house. Yes. It's, a, it's very much attached to his ego. It's very much attached to his pride and more than likely is attached to the culture in which he grew up with. And so he feels like if he doesn't have that and if he doesn't have that control, he may not be able to control you. Um, and, and he utilizes that for you to be able to honor him in that. Uh, and it's so unfortunate, to be honest with you, because those are that's not what men are. Uh, that's what that's not what defines a man. Also, it may not be part of his culture, but it just may be a part of him trying to manipulate and control. Either way, no matter where it came from, it is certainly abuse. Yeah, I think um, you have to be very careful with that even as well. And so even if you have to go to a counselor for that, you I don't want to have to have allowance. I don't want to have to like, and again, sadly I've been through this before. And one of the hardest things for them to reconcile was when I, or for them to really deal with was when I decided that I was going to go and start making my own money. When I was going to start a business, when I was going to do something for me, because as long as I wasn't making any money, they can dictate what I did. As long as I wasn't making any money, they could tell me that because I'm not bringing any money, I can't do this, that, or the other. I couldn't go see my mother. I couldn't, you know, literally couldn't buy underwear because I had to clear it past another person. That's humiliation. And if you marry me and we are one, then everything about what we do should operate as a unit and not as a dictatorship. Get Absolutely. counseling for that too. TRT said, I think, is that Tracy? Mm -hmm. I can't. Uh, all manipulation, domination and intimidation are abusive and are straight, straight from, from hell. The pit? Thank you for listening to the Ask the Martins podcast, recorded live on social media and distributed to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Now, we can't grow without you, so help spread the love. Wherever you found us, rate, like, share, and leave a review. We are grateful to you and appreciate you in advance. Do you have a question for us? Then visit askthemartins.com ask us your question or ask for a friend once again thank you for tuning in to ask the martins podcast we hope you enjoyed the program